three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 385. Oh, man, NFL Week 2 is incredible. Like, so much good football everywhere. I'm really excited to talk about it. I really don't want to waste time. Uh, I want to jump in. Let's talk about Sunday Night Football. So, on Sunday Night Football, the Ravens beat Kansas City 36-35. to And, uh, geez, man, what an awesome game. Like, really fun to watch. You had two titans of the football world, Lamar Jackson against Patrick Mahomes. And if you're a football fan, it was kind of everything you could ask for in a Sunday Night Football game. Now, I want to talk about Lamar because... Lamar had a rough start. He had two interceptions in the first quarter. Both of them, by the way, went to Tyran Matthew. One of them went for a pick six, his first one. Like, horrible way to start the game, by the way. A pick six, you're down a touchdown early on. And then he also had a miss early, uh, deep down the middle to Hollywood Brown. Would have been a touchdown, but he threw an inaccurate pass. And so Lamar was just in a really bad spot early on in this game. And what I loved about this game was that Lamar bounced back. He found a way to turn an early start that sucked into a really good football game and ultimately one of his defining moments of his NFL career. Lamar finished with 239 yards passing and a touchdown. He also ran 16 times for 107 yards and two more touchdowns. Now I will admit Baltimore got some help from Kansas city. There was a throw. Mahomes had a really, really bad costly interception in the third quarter where it's one of those plays where you got to eat it. He's getting tackled, falling to the ground, trying to force the ball into coverage. It's not really open. It's not there. And I know Patrick Mahomes has made all kinds of crazy plays in his career. So he gets a pass to kind of do whatever he wants and freedom to be creative and make mistakes and do this and that. But that was one of the worst interceptions he's thrown in his entire career and and one that I'm sure he, he would love to have back. And unfortunately, it led to a Ravens touchdown. And then later in the fourth quarter, the minute 20 left, the Ravens scored again to take a 36 to 35 lead. Now, Kansas City had an opportunity to put together a game winning drive. But the running back, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, fumbled and gave the ball away. And that led to one of my, I just, this really, really special moment, one of the key plays of this entire game, and this really incredible moment where the Ravens had the ball and a lead late. All they had to do was run out the clock. And I always say that if you want to beat Kansas City, you have to take risks. Especially, you have to go for it on fourth down. You cannot be conservative on fourth down. Well, the Ravens went for it on fourth and one, On their own 43-yard line with 105 left in the fourth quarter and a one-point lead, they went for it. And they didn't have to. They could have punted it away and said, hey, we're going to trust our defense to stop Patrick Mahomes. But I think we've seen over and over and over again how ill-fated that can be. People always, for some reason, give Patrick Mahomes the ball at the end of the game. And so they said, we're going to control our own destiny. Hey, in our own territory, fourth and one. We're a team that runs the ball very, very effectively. This is our strength. We're going to run the ball in fourth and one and get this first down. And they did. The Ravens sealed the victory that way. And I loved him. And one of my favorite plays of the year, just a team saying, we know what's expected of us. We know what we have to do. And we know the consequences if we don't succeed. And, and, and frankly, I think that no matter what happens, if you give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes in that situation where if you go for it on fourth and one and you get stopped, well, then Mahomes has your ball, has the ball in your own territory. That's terrible, right? But isn't it equally bad to punt the ball away and still give the ball to Patrick Mahomes at the end of a game? Like, you're never guaranteed. The only way the Ravens were able to guarantee they would win that game was going for it on fourth and one. And they did. And they got it. And, man, I I just, I love that decision making. That's fantastic football. That's what this is all about. 
And uh, look, Lamar is not perfect. Nobody is. There will always be things that Lamar Jackson can work on and get better at. Although you can say that about literally any other quarterback in the entire NFL. But what I'm really getting tired of is people who look at Lamar Jackson and just say he's hot garbage. It's just totally wrong and totally just untrue. And I think people really need to start giving Lamar Jackson more respect. Anyone who's saying he's a bad quarterback, they just don't know football. Like, I'm really tired of getting this win over Kansas City really legitimized Lamar Jackson for me. And hopefully a lot of other people will finally change their minds about Lamar. I remember when he was drafted, I was one of the idiots saying like, oh, I don't know if he's going to work in the NFL. And I... I, I, I own that. I live with that. But I think some people still are like I, I've gotten used to. And part of one of the principles of my show is being willing to change my mind when I get new information and I'm proven wrong. I own that and I admit that. And it's been very helpful throughout my entire life. Like if my fiance has an idea and I don't like it and then she proves me wrong, I just own it and say, you're right. And then I, I cave in and she gets her way like that's And that's important. That's really in any aspect of life. You have to be willing to admit when you're wrong. You have to be able to apologize to people. You have to be able to, like, all that stuff. You have to remove your ego and say, yeah, you know what? I got that one wrong and bend the knee. And for some reason in our society, that isn't celebrated more often. People are, you have to stand by what you say forever. And if you ever, ever admit you're wrong, you're somehow weak or stupid. But I think this is one example of people who, I, 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 first of all, I don't really understand who's left that doesn't believe in Lamar Jackson. Like, I, I got it early on. He ran the ball. But Lamar has just changed football. Like, oh, no, we've learned, hey, actually it works. You can run the ball and be an incredible running quarterback and succeed in the NFL. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Lamar can also throw the ball too. So, first of all, the idea that Lamar can't win in the NFL is clearly being proven wrong wrong every single week, every single year by him. And I just have to wonder if the, anybody left who's saying Lamar Jackson is bad or isn't going to work, is that people who— maybe early on decided Lamar wasn't going to work and are just so set and stuck in their ways. They can't admit that they were wrong and they can't change their mind. I just want to say like, you have freedom to admit you're wrong. It's if anybody out there feels like they, they, they didn't believe in Lamar and then they, they pick that side and they feel stuck in the mud. Like it's okay to own that. You got that one wrong. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets stuff wrong. And I just, I, I, I really don't understand anybody left who still somehow, finds a way to doubt Lamar Jackson or not believe in him or say that he's a bad quarterback. Cause it's just, it's just factually incorrect. And I love seeing the guy win. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. He's so easy to root for. Uh, but especially like the fact that he went, you know, last in the first round of the NFL draft, a lot of people didn't believe in him as a quarterback. And if they only knew what he would become, if we could redraft the 2018 NFL draft, like where will Lamar Jackson go a second time? He certainly would not be the last pick of the first round. So I don't know. I think, I think a lot of people are wrong about Lamar. He's clearly a very effective quarterback who wins a lot in the NFL. He beat Kansas city for the first time ever in his career. Really, really happy for him. And I just, I, I, I shift my focus to those people who still, for whatever reason, can't find a way to believe in him or admit that he's really, really good. And I just, I, I wonder what's going on there. Like why are people still so hesitant to admit that he's a great quarterback? Like, yeah, he does it differently. He, he runs the ball, like, really effectively. But that's a skill that nobody else in the NFL really has. Like, no one – Kyler runs the ball really well. Russell Wilson can run around. But nobody runs the ball as well or as effectively as Lamar Jackson. And then his personality, his competitive nature. Like, I, I just find – when I look at Lamar, all I can find are reasons to like him and believe in him. And so I just – 
there's a disconnect for anybody who doesn't believe in him. I just don't really understand. Like, I don't, I don't want to say you're an idiot. I don't want to listen to you because I, I try to hear every perspective I can. But that's one where I'm like, man, like, what are we doing here? Like, why, how is anybody still a doubter of Lamar Jackson, especially after beating the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football? Like, it just the, the argument is dead. And I, and I can't listen to that anymore. OK, let's talk about the Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders are off to a great start to the year. They're 2-0. and They just beat the Steelers on the road in Pittsburgh, 26-17. to And by the way, the Raiders have now beat two teams in a row that were playoff teams last year. Last week, they beat the Ravens week one. They beat Pittsburgh this week in week two. Now, you have to acknowledge that the Raiders did catch a break. Uh, star edge defender TJ Watt left the game early for Pittsburgh. He did not play the entire second half. But on the other, you know, the flip side of that is that even though Pittsburgh lost T.J. Watt, and then also later they lost offensive lineman Trey Turner, who got kicked out of the game, it's not like the Raiders were playing at full strength either. They, you know, their running back Josh Jacobs did not play. He's hurt. They didn't have their guard Richie Incognito. Remember, they lost their other guard Denzel Good week one with an ACL tear. So it's not like the Raiders were, you know, at full strength playing against a full strength Pittsburgh team. Both people lost. Both teams had a player to get hurt, and losing T.J. Watt is a massive deal. Do not get me wrong. But, I mean, let's just be clear. Like, both teams are at a disadvantage in certain ways on Sunday. The Raiders found a way to win. Now, before we talk about Derek Carr, I just got to say, I'm feeling really, really good about this Raiders football team. There's a lot of young guys stepping up and making plays. Uh, I want to list a couple of them. Trayvon um, Mullen had a nice interception. He's a corner in year three of his career. There's another third-year player, uh, tight end Foster Moreau. He had two big catches against Pittsburgh, uh, one on a back shoulder seam ball, then later he had a touchdown catch. Both of the Raiders' tackles, by the way, Colton Miller and Alex Leatherwood are former first-round picks. They're young at the beginning of their career. Uh, Receiver Brian Edwards should have had a touchdown. He's a stud. That guy I mentioned, Alex Leatherwood, actually had a holding call that got that called back. Uh, Henry Ruggs, uh, their number 12 overall pick from last year, second-year player, had a long 61-yard touchdown, and that's... By the way, why they drafted him was to make big plays. Uh, and he finished with, you know, Henry Ruggs finished with five catches for 113 yards and a touchdown. Then you have Hunter Renfro, who's an underrated slot receiver who does great work and is really good at getting yards after the catch. He had multiple key first downs for the Raiders against Pittsburgh. Now, watching this game, a couple things became very, very clear early on. Pittsburgh's mission was to shut down the Raiders star tight end, Darren Waller. And... They kind of did that. Darren Waller had five catches for 65 yards, which by his standards is not an amazing football game. But the other thing that became very apparent, what was fun to watch about this game was that because their game plan focused so heavily on stopping Darren Waller, it gave other players opportunities. And it was so cool to see the rest of the Raiders young roster step up and make plays and kind of rise to the occasion. Now, I want to talk about Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback. After this game ended, I decided to go on Google and try to figure out, okay, how many quarterbacks have the Raiders had in their past, and who are the notable guys in their history? And looking at the former Raiders quarterbacks made me realize, I believe Derek Carr is the best quarterback in Raiders history. And the only guy who kind of even comes close to comparing to him is Kenny Stabler, a guy who played quarterback for them in the late 70s. And I just really fundamentally believe that as this young team gets better and better around Derek Carr, and... You know, people start making plays and people they start winning more games. People are going to finally realize just how good Derek Carr is. There's going to be a collective realization around the league, and people are going to go, oh, my goodness. Derek Carr has been making play after play after play. And 
I think at some point this year, he's going to enter the MVP conversation. Will he win? I don't know. There's a lot of factors that determine that. But Derek Carr is playing out of his mind and deserves a ton of respect. And like, I know we're only two games in, but I, I just really believe this Raiders football team is making a lot of progress. They had two wins in a row now. Uh, they beat you know the Ravens and they beat Pittsburgh. And I had the Raiders winning 10 games this year. And And the more I watch the Raiders play football, I feel better and better about that prediction. I'm like, man, I think the Raiders are making progress. John Gruden's in year four. Derek Carr looks really good. And the young players around Derek Carr are making more and more plays. And I just go, oh, man, like this is a fun year for the Raiders. They're building something. And I, I can't remove my emotion. Like I want to see them do really well. And I'm kind of I find myself kind of rooting for them and hoping they do well. But I just I, I just also aside from my emotion, I really do believe they're doing the right stuff and headed in a good direction. And I didn't expect them to beat Pittsburgh. I really was like, ah, man, like, they'll start one-on-one. Pittsburgh's a really good football team. Then they beat Pittsburgh, and I'm like, oh, man, like, this is a team gaining some traction, gaining some steam, and players are making plays. And I just, I just want to say, like, I think the Raiders are really, really headed in the right direction. Okay, now, I have two things to say that I think Steeler fans will want to hear. Number one, there was an early penalty called for a hit on Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. And I just want to say, I think it was an unfair penalty on the Steelers' defense. Derek Carr didn't slide, and I understand that the NFL wants to protect quarterbacks, and they throw flags anytime you hit a quarterback in a way that makes anybody uncomfortable to watch. But also, if you don't want quarterbacks to get hit, like rather than punishing the defense who Derek Carr is running, like you have to tackle him. You can't not tackle Derek Carr. If you want quarterbacks to not get hit, then quarterbacks have to do their part and slide and protect themselves. And I always, I I played quarterback in college. I I talk about quarterbacks all the time, but this is one where I felt bad for the defense, man. Like you have to, again, like you have to tackle Derek Carr. You can't let him run for 50 yards. So at some point you have to hit him and get him down. And if he doesn't slide and then he gets popped, that's on him, not on the defense. They should not have gotten penalized. And watching that was really, really frustrating. Now, number two, Pittsburgh had a shot. There was a fourth and inches with eight minutes left in the game. The Steelers were down 23 to 14, ball on their own 35-yard line, and they didn't go for it. And it felt like a really, really important moment where they missed an opportunity. It was a two-score game. They needed to score. They needed a, Really what they needed was a touchdown and a field goal uh, and a stop. And unfortunately, they didn't get a stop. That you know The Raiders did kick another field goal. But the Steelers, after that decision to not go for it on fourth and inches, only got the ball back one more time for a real drive. And I just thought that that late fourth down was a play that kind of is hung left on the table that they should have gone for, where I look at my life and all the biggest regrets I have are the risks I didn't take. And they're not just risks, they're opportunities that you didn't take. And I feel like the Steelers really, really passed on a big opportunity late in the fourth quarter of this game, not going for it on fourth and inches, where... That's the, one of the plays where you'll look back on and go, oh, man, that was an opportunity to extend this game and score again and keep our chances alive. And by punting the ball away, they just kind of sealed their fate because they never again, like I said, they never really got an actual opportunity to score two more times. And those are those plays in the fourth quarter, like you have to go for it. And maybe maybe Pittsburgh didn't realize they're playing the Raiders, who are much better than they've been in the past. But I, I just thought it was a weird I don't know if arrogant is the right word, just like naive or even a bad decision to not go for it on fourth and inches. I know it's on your own 35-yard line. I know you're only down two scores, but also two scores with eight minutes left. Like that's the time where 
uh, frankly, like you, you have to realize how urgent the situation is. And it felt like Pittsburgh just did not understand the situation they were in in that moment. Okay, uh, let's shift gears to Tennessee and Seattle. On Sunday, the Tennessee Titans went on the road at Seattle and beat the Seahawks in overtime. And I got to ask, first of all, I wonder how Seahawks fans will feel about this game because they had a late lead, 30-16, to 16, and blew it. I mean, they, they just lost this game. And, and part of the story here is that, crazy enough, one of the reasons why Tennessee was able to tie this game was Seattle missed an extra point, which would have... Pro- put way more pressure on Tennessee later where they would have had to go for two or try to do something else to make this game a tie ball game down 15 is really different from down 14. And I just thought this is a really, really brutal loss for Seattle. Now Seattle's defense had a rough day. Uh, Tennessee had 532 yards of total offense. Derek Henry, their running back had 35 carries for 182 yards and three touchdowns. And by the way, Derek Henry is just incredible to watch. He had a run where, uh, Tennessee had the ball first and goal on the nine-yard line. And he completely reversed field of the line of scrimmage and ran for a touchdown. It was one of the better runs of the year for me, not to mention that he had two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. One of them was a 60-yard touchdown run. Like, Derrick Henry is just a beast, really fun to watch. Also, a notable thing for Tennessee is that Titans left tackle, Taylor Lewan did not play. And he's a pro bowler, like a really outstanding left tackle. And he's recovering from a knee injury, And he played awful last week. He gave up a bunch of sacks to Chandler Jones against the Arizona Cardinals last week in week one. And I think this week, actually, Tennessee was better without him. Because playing hurt is something that isn't actually always the right thing to do. It's seen as this brave thing to fight through the pain and, you know, play injured. But the reality is that if you're so hurt, you can't perform well enough to, you know, be playing at a high level, you're actually hurting your football team. Taylor Lewan last week in week one, I think, was so injured that he couldn't actually help his team anymore. He was better off on the sideline, which this week we kind of saw that. And it's also crazy. Tennessee's offense put up 33 points, over 500 yards of total offense, and all while doing so, their stud receiver, A.J. Brown, didn't even play very well. A.J. Brown had three catches for 43 yards and dropped a couple of passes that you expect a star receiver to haul in. Now, Julio Jones, the other Titans receiver, had a really good game. He had six catches for 128 yards, had a touchdown that got called back. Uh, They overturned that touchdown. I thought that was kind of a weird call. I didn't agree. I I will say it's their job, not mine, but it looked inbounds. And then they, what they said, you know, they called it a a catch on the field. And then they had, apparently they decided that enough evidence to overturn that. I didn't see enough evidence to overturn that where, I mean, if if it had been called a non-touchdown, and they said the ruling on the field stands, not a touchdown. I would have said that's a good call. But I, I didn't see enough information on screen to say this is a touchdown. Actually, no, it's not because of something we saw. I just I thought it was a touchdown. I'll argue that forever. Uh, but either way, like just I, I, the only thing I felt bad for was that Julio Jones didn't get a touchdown catch. I also want to give a shout-out to Titans second-year corner, Christian Fulton. I was worried that he would be a big weakness this year for Tennessee's defense. And the reality is he made a bunch of really good plays against Seattle. He had, you know, he kept DK Metcalf, the Seattle Seahawks star receiver from having a big game. DK Metcalf was very quiet for the day, only having 53 yards receiving. And Christian Fulton had multiple plays downfield where he was knocking the ball away or making an impact. And I, I was really worried about this guy and I want to give him a shout out. Like he played very, very well against Seattle. Now for Seattle, 
The biggest story of the year for them is so far, in, in only two games, but so far their new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, has been fantastic. I really like his play design. He's done very, very well. Tyler Lockett has been the you know, standout receiver. He's got 278 yards, three touchdowns in two games. And the way that Shane Waldron's offense is creating big opportunities downfield is like, oh, it's manna from heaven. It's really fun to watch. Uh, now, Seattle's defense was not good at all against Tennessee, though. And I'm curious because you have Russell Wilson, this incredible quarterback. And I wonder, like, how far can Russell Wilson carry this football team? Like, where will they be by week 10? They've got a, I think, a bunch of problems on their defense. They've got an offensive line that's fine, but often unimpressive. And I just really wonder when they play, you know, J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones or the Rams and Aaron Donald or the 49ers, like, how are they going to play against better football teams? And I just, so far, I'm like, hi, it's, it's uneven. Like Russell Wilson can carry them, but the question is how far? And I don't know. I I was surprised. I I thought going into this game, Seattle was going to win this game. I really expected Seattle to frankly to dominate. And so the fact that they didn't, not only didn't dominate, but lost a close game in overtime really surprised me. And then also the fact that Seattle had the ball in overtime, had a chance to go win the game and they couldn't. So I, I don't know. Seattle is a team that is endlessly baffling. Like they'll beat a really good team one week and beat a, you know, lose to a team that is struggling the next week. I just, I can never get a read on Seattle and they're a weird football team. Um, But I just, time will tell. I I don't want to make any big proclamations after week two for Seattle. They're one and one right now. And I'm excited for November. Like by November, by around week 10, we'll know how good or bad Seattle is. And uh, I think they're better than I thought. I had them at six and eleven to go, you know, this year. But are they much better? I don't know. So again, the question is, how far can Russell Wilson carry Seattle, and and does this loss really mean anything? We won't know for a couple weeks, but in, in week ten, we'll know a lot more about Seattle, and I'm very excited to see how things develop for them. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do the noteworthy eight for NFL Week Two. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Remember, every week I highlight a couple NFL stories I find interesting. This week, there are eight of them. So there are eight noteworthy storylines I want to talk about from NFL Week 2. Number one is this. The 49ers beat the Eagles 17-11. to And it's pretty funny. The Eagles literally won one game last week. They beat a bad Atlanta team. And their fan base went crazy. They dialed expectations up to 11 well, uh, they just lost to a good 49ers team. And I actually thought Philly played well. Uh, they lost by six to a good football team. That's never this crazy thing you need to feel horrible about. But of course, Philly fans overreacted and they're ready to bury Jalen Hurts and burn his jersey and say he's terrible. They're being incredibly impatient. And I love Philly fans. I think their passion is fun. Like their hearts are in the right spot. But they're so reactionary and emotional. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how this year plays out because The next Eagles games are they play at Dallas next week. Then week four, they play against Kansas City. And so I think Philly could start the year one and three. And I really want to know how Philly fans are going to feel in a couple weeks from now. If this Eagles are one and three, how much are things going to shift from these arrogant, angry people after one win against Atlanta to a team that might be one and three in four weeks or a couple weeks from now? I just I don't know. It's, It's fun to see the the raw emotion so many Philadelphia Eagles fans have every week. And they always swing one way, then swing way the other way. And they're angry and want to burn things. And they're happy and want to kill people. It's like, geez, you guys are so insane. And I just, it's one of the most insane fan bases in sports. Now, number two is Zach Wilson. 
The Jets lost to the Patriots 25-6, to and their rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson, had not one, not two, not three, but four interceptions. And uh, I want to just encourage Jets fans to calm down. It's okay. Zach Wilson had every disadvantage in week two of the NFL season. The Patriots are a playoff team. They're a way, way better football team than the Jets. It was a mismatch, in my opinion. Not to mention, Zach Wilson was playing against a Bill Belichick defense. So stop panicking because the Patriots always embarrass young rookie quarterbacks. They beat Justin Herbert last year, who we all agree, Justin Herbert is a really good quarterback. The Patriots, with Cam Newton and a bad football team last year, beat Justin Herbert 45-0. to So to me, it wasn't a surprise that Zach Wilson struggled. It was the expectation. Every year, rookie quarterbacks have a hard time against Bill Belichick. He eats them for lunch and... uh I just think that it wasn't a shock that Zach Wilson struggled. He's a rookie quarterback in his second ever game, playing against a great Patriots team coached by Bill Belichick. Not a surprise. Do not burn your jersey and give up after one week where he plays badly against the Patriots of all teams. Like, come on. If he he lost to Atlanta and did horrible against Atlanta, that's one thing. But it's not like the Jets played the Lions or Atlanta. They played the Patriots, who are a good football team. So slow your roll, relax, calm down. Zach Wilson's totally fine. He's just a young rookie learning how to play quarterback in the NFL. Number three from the Jets to their former quarterback, Sam Darnold. Uh, The Panthers beat the New Orleans Saints 26 to seven in week two. Sam Darnold looked great. He had over 300 yards passing, uh, two touchdowns. One of the best games that Sam Darnold's ever had in the NFL happened just yesterday in week two. Now the Saints quarterback, Jameis Winston, was 11 for 22 passing, 111 yards, uh, you know, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, we kind of saw bad Jameis Winston in week two of the NFL season. However, I do want to say this because I don't think it's entirely fair to just judge New Orleans on this week. Because remember, not only are they living in hotels in Dallas because of their city getting destroyed, but also the Saints did not have eight of their coaches this week because of COVID. And in my mind, New Orleans gets a break this week because— not only, remember, their staff was obliterated this offseason by people leaving to go get promotions to be coaches or head coaches or offensive coordinators or you know, even people in the front office left to be the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. So not only did their, their coaching staff and front office get like totally decimated in the offseason, but also trying to win a game when six of your offensive coaches are not available because of COVID – I just don't think you can expect the team to win in that scenario. So I, remember, like all week, they weren't available. So they weren't there for meetings. They weren't able to meet with players. It's, it's hard to work and win when your coach and coaching staff is so depleted that way. And I just, I want to say, I haven't completely given up on New Orleans. They just, in my opinion, had a crazy week with a lot to overcome. And was it a bad loss? Yeah. Did Jameis Winston play bad? Sure. But Context also matters, and the context for what was going on with New Orleans last week was that they were put in a a really, really tough situation and unfortunately played very, very badly as a result, in my opinion. Number four, the Bills beat the Dolphins 35-0. to zero. And uh, Miami's quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, left the game early with a rib injury. Now, Jacoby Brissett played most of the game at quarterback for Miami. Uh, injury aside, though, it cannot be overstated. Like, when I watch this game... And, and I watched Tua play last week, and I watched Josh Allen, you know, a bunch. And the gap between what Josh Allen brings to the Buffalo Bills and then what Tua brings to his team in Miami, like, the gap is a mile wide. Josh Allen is way, way better. I, I, I'd even go through, like, way, way, 
way better than Tua. And I like Tua. Like, I love him. I have his jersey. I live in Hawaii. I'm a huge fan. But I, I the Josh Allen is one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the best young quarterback in the NFL. Him, Justin Herbert, like Lamar is past young quarterback status in my mind, but, you know, Lamar's in there too. Um, like, But the, the young guys in the first couple of years, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Tua has a lot to prove, especially losing to Josh Allen's team 35-0. to zero. Uh, and then losing, leaving game early with a rib injury, like it's it's not good right now. And I, I love Tua. I want to see him do well. But if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you are really, really scared that your gun quarterback is not going to pan out and, and maybe even be a bust. And you're also thinking, if you're a Dolphins fan, you already can't get over the fact that your team passed on Justin Herbert for Tua, which, again, I can't criticize because I would have too. Like, I, I get it. But right now, if you're a Dolphins fan, you're like, oh, no, we have the wrong quarterback. And not only do we not have the best quarterback we could have had, we also have one that may not like work long-term in the NFL. So if you're a Dolphins fan, I don't blame you for panicking and being very, very worried about your young quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. Number five, the Cardinals beat the Vikings 34-33. to <sighs> Dang it, man. Uh, the Vikings kicker, Greg Joseph, missed a game-winning field goal. It was a 37-yarder at the end of the fourth quarter. And, of course, like I, I reacted that way because I praised Greg Joseph so much the other day for hitting the game-tying 53-yard field goal at the end of regulation last week against Cincinnati. Not once, but twice because of a coach calling a field goal to ice him. I was like, hey, Greg Joseph got you know balls of steel. He won't be deterred. He's not going to be made nervous by any situation. He's really, really great in any situation, clearly because he hit a 53-yard field goal twice. And I, I mean, I thought Minnesota had found a clutch kicker. And uh, I guess not because the dude made me look silly. And... The Vikings kicker missed the game winner. It's just like, oh, man, that's that's barely longer than an extra point, and you missed it. It's like, oh, of course. Right after I praised the guy, he does terrible. Like, I didn't curse him, none of that crap. I don't believe in that stuff. And certainly, like, if anyone is going to curse him, it's not me on my tiny show. But just, oh, oh man. Uh, I, now, the Cardinals are 2-0. and Good for them. Uh, the Cardinals play the Jaguars next week. That looks like a team that's going to be 3-0 and after week three. The Cardinals will. The Vikings are 0-2, though, and the Vikings play the Seahawks next and then the Cleveland Browns. So the next two games are really, really tough for Minnesota, and they might have a bad start to the year where they— it's very possible Minnesota starts 0-4. Maybe, I think at minimum, 1-3, but it's very possible that two weeks from now we're talking about a 0-4 Minnesota Vikings team that is in a really, really bad situation with a team that is very much underperforming. Uh, number six, the Bears beat the Bengals 20-17— to uh, and the Andy Dalton revenge storyline was that one I was really hyping up all week. Like, it's Andy Dalton against his former football team, the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's see what happens. And, well, it was underwhelming. Uh, he left the game early with a knee injury. And uh, rookie quarterback Justin Fields played the entire second half for the Bears at quarterback. He did enough to win. He had a nice throw to Darnell Mooney, one that set up a field goal. He also had an interception. He got fooled uh, by a linebacker dropping Logan Wilson uh, dropped underneath, and he, th- he tried to throw an under route. It got picked off by Logan Wilson. He's a rookie, no worry. I thought Justin Fields, all things considered, would not knowing he was going to play, and you know, in a, in a tight game, doing enough to win. Like that's that's a win. If you're a Bears fan, you're like, okay, hey, had a pick, but whatever. Like we won the football game, and Justin Fields played good enough for that to happen. So you got to be happy if you're a Bears fan. Now Joe Burrow threw three straight passes that were picked off. Like it, it was awful. One of them was a pick six. Really rough day for him. They still almost won, by the way, too. So I think Cincinnati, if Joe Burrow doesn't do that, throw a pick six minimum, he could have two interceptions. If one of them isn't picked off, that's fine. 
or if one of them isn't picked off and one of them doesn't go for a pick six, two interceptions probably would have still been a victory for Cincinnati. So uh, I, I just think like, man, like I wonder what could have been if Joe Burrow didn't have that weird moment in the fourth, like three fourth quarter interceptions on three straight passes is just really brutal and very crazy. Uh, now, Jamar Chase had a 42-yard touchdown catch. Very good for him. But uh, I, again, the Andy Dalton storyline didn't work. The Bengals lost. And Justin Fields played, which was the only kind of redeeming, interesting quality of this football game. Number seven, the Cowboys beat the Chargers 20-17. to Dak was outstanding. Literally, he had only one bad play the entire game. Uh, th- he threw an interception into no man's land where you had one guy going vertical, one guy crossing the field, and he kind of threw the ball between the two of them. It was, it was a weird throw. I didn't really understand what he was doing there. Otherwise, though, Dak Prescott was 23 for 27 passing, had a really good performance. It's a great win for Dallas, uh, and especially when you realize that Dallas beat a good L.A. Chargers team, missing their tackle, Lyle Collins, wide receiver Michael Gallup, their safety, Donovan Wilson, and both of their starting defensive ends, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. I, I think this Dallas team is better than I realized. I mean, I think they're they're playing very, very well. And next week they play the Eagles on Monday Night Football at Dallas. So I can't wait to watch Dak. It's going to be a very fun game. Credit to Dallas. They're playing very, very good football early on this year. And uh, I, I thought, you know, they, they barely lost to Tampa Bay. But this is a team that's only a couple plays from me 2-0 right now. So Dallas is playing very, very good to start the year. Now, number eight, the Rams beat the Colts 27-24. to and it sucked, man. This game was so fun for so long. Matthew Stafford, Carson Wentz, two quarterbacks on new teams, trading blows. And then in the key moment of the game, Carson Wentz got hurt in the fourth quarter. The Colts had a chance to score late in the game, and their quarterback was unavailable with an injury. And uh, now backup quarterback Jacob Eason came in. He threw up interception. That really sealed the game in favor of the Rams. And I can only wonder here, what would have happened if Carson Wentz played at the end of this game? Like, with a real opportunity to tie the game, could the Colts have tied the game? What would have happened here? I, I think the Colts could have even won the game if, if this hadn't ended that way. So the Rams-Colts battle was really, really fun and then got spoiled at the end with Carson Wentz getting injured. And I just hope Carson can play next week. This is a Colts team that's 0-2 now uh, and had two really tough losses. I just, I'm like, oh man, like what if, it, they can't afford to start 0-3 and what if Carson is hurt? It's just... The year feels like it's already spiraling out of control for the Colts, and I'm I'm worried about them because they're a good football team with a lot of talent that right now should be winning more games than they are. I mean, just uh, I'm really, really worried for the Colts. Guys, that's all I have. Uh, Thank you so very much. I really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day, uh, and uh, I will see you tomorrow after Monday Night Football. I'll be recording very, very quickly. I feel like I'm talking too fast. I don't know. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Uh, I wore this shirt, which I'm never going to wear again. The material is really uncomfortable. Um, I hope people enjoyed the the Hawaiian shirt. Enjoy it. I'm never wearing it again on the show. Anyways, I love you. I appreciate you. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done.